Ezekiel chapter 37. Prophet Ezekiel is being led by the Spirit of God. Read in verse 1. It says, The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around and among the bones that were covered on the valley floor. There's this picture of almost like a, a battle that had happened and soldiers that maybe died in battle or it was a graveyard, but somewhere there was these mass bones that were just dried by the sun in the, the Middle Eastern air. And the valley is full of bones. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked, son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, Ezekiel replied, you alone know the answer to that. Good answer. It's like my wife asked me a question. I'm like, I don't know. What do you want to do? Because I have a feeling she already knows the answer. I've learned this. Usually when my wife asks a question, she already has an answer. So I'm like, oh, wise one, where do you think we should put this plant? Where do you think we should put this plant? Where do you think we should put that picture that I just got from Winters that I've been looking for for a few weeks? I don't know. Where do you think? Ezekiel goes, I don't know. God, sovereign Lord, what do you think? And then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these dry bones. Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. It says they started to rattle. And it says that flesh came on them. They stood up in a great army. I want to encourage you today. It's not a part of my message. It wasn't a part of our day. But I believe God wants to speak. God wants to interrupt our services. I don't know if you know that. Sometimes we can do things in the name of Jesus, but then we don't give him room when he wants to actually show up by his spirit and say things. But maybe there's been some battles. Maybe there's been some, some things that have died in your life, maybe in your heart, maybe in your dreams, or maybe even in your family, in your experience and in your relationships. And you think, I, nothing, that can't come back to life. No, it's too dry. It's too gone. It's, it, that's just a memorial now. I believe sometimes God wants to speak and let you know by his presence that if God's not dead, we're not done. And there's some bones that start to want to start to rattle. I believe the church is one of those bones that wants to rattle. I believe there's some relationships. I believe there are some ideas and dreams that God wants to put inside your heart that maybe look dry and too impossible and too far gone, and you've been grieving it for too long, but God says, no, no, I want to start to make a rattle. And I believe even today, you're going to start hearing things rattle in your spirit going, is it possible? Is it possible for God to speak to that relationship? Is it possible maybe that I don't need to give in to that addiction? Is it possible maybe you thought a healthy life, a, a, a pure life, maybe you thought a sound mind, maybe you thought good relationships were dead and gone and for someone else. And I believe today there's a rattling going, it's possible to live pure. Yes, it is. It's possible to have healthy relationships. Yes, it is. It's possible to live in peace. It's possible to have health in your body and your mind. I believe there's a rattling habit if you listen to heaven by his spirit. Let me bless you today. Father, I bless this church with your spirit today. God, I don't bless them with religion or services. I don't bless them with good preaching or catchy music. I don't bless them with uh, just organizational religion, but I bless them with your spirit. Holy Spirit, you said you would come with power, God. You would send your spirit with power. And I'm asking for a rattling to happen. A rattling where, God, you're starting to move on your church and on your families and on your people. God, do what only you can do. And, God, we're excited. We, 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 don't, we, we don't know the answer. We refuse to listen to Twitter and Facebook and the media, mainstream or otherwise. We say only you know. 
So God, our trust is in you. And we speak the word of God, not the word of statistics, not the word of man, not the word of opinion, but the word of God. And we say the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can live in these bones and he can bring it to life. In Jesus' name, and somebody said, come on, smile at your neighbor and grab a seat today. Smile at your neighbor, say good morning, say welcome to church. I like to settle very early where my amen corner is going to be today. Everybody said? All right, this side you're leading so far. Thank you. Online church, we're glad you're here. We see you in the comments. And got to see a whole bunch of you this morning on YouTube and Facebook. I jumped on for a second. Welcome to church. We're so glad you're joining us today. And um, we're glad you're in there. When you comment, we see that. We're so glad. Some of you are already asking for prayer requests. And we see those. Um, And we're a praying church. We believe today that God's going to help you right where you are. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you, Pastor Mike. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We said it, but maybe in all the fun and chaos, maybe you didn't see it, but we are giving away some popsicles today. Because why not, right? Why not? It's a beautiful day in Halifax. We get three of them a year, so we want to enjoy them. And that's for everybody, kids, everybody. Just grab a popsicle on the way out. Uh, enjoy that. Uh, we didn't get uh, fudgicles because, parents, we love your upholstery in your car. So you're welcome for that. Uh, so popsicles. So enjoy those on the way home. Um, have them in the lobby. Have them outside or take them with you. Uh, but just enjoy that today. Uh, I want to put my family picture up there. I don't often do this. That's a good-looking family right there. Um, to answer the question, yeah, you can clap for that. I think Josh is taller than me. Uh, I'm at the shrinking age, I think, now. I'm not sure what age that is. Nancy's been shrinking for 10 years, um, as you can tell. Uh, but she's bigger on the inside. Um, but a couple weeks, last week, when I was sharing, Nancy brought me out a glass of water, which was so nice. And if you were here, if you were watching, I sort of flirted with her a little bit on stage. Nothing wrong with that, we're married. Um, but later on, someone told me that they were guests, and they didn't know that we were married, and they didn't know who that was. And they said, maybe he's just really friendly. No, no, I'm not. That was my wife. And sometimes we forget that you're guests here. I'm Mike. I'm one of the pastors. My wife is the other lead pastor here at our church. And, um, but sometimes you may not know who our family is. And this is our amazing family, and we're so proud of them, and we so love them. And uh, Josh is graduating this week, coming up from high school. Uh, so proud of him. Yeah, Maddie um, makes us laugh, and I just, I love our family so much, and so thankful, uh, and um, just God's been so good. Um, I was on a phone last week with a friend of mine from the States named Chad, and um, Chad's son, Ashton, was at a football camp, and real football, not CFL, okay, okay, so I just, I probably shouldn't have said that, but we all know it's true. Anyway, uh, he was at a football camp in the States, and and his son has real talent. He's on some teams. And he might go somewhere with his, um, you could take that down. My kids are begging me to take that picture down. Um, and he was at a football camp. I said, how'd it go? Man, it was something so good. He goes, man, he's got real talent. And see, a lot of people say that. And, you know, if you've been around the rinks or the soccer field, some people think their kids have talent. And you're like, eh, you know. Sometimes, but I'm like, you know, if Chad says his son has talent with football, I believe him. Why? Because Chad's brother-in-law, one brother-in-law, is actually the president of an NFL football team. And uh, they go, and ha- go to games all the time and sit in the president's box. And his, his brother-in-law runs an NFL team. So he's around football culture and scouts and coaches and players. And his other brother-in-law uh, actually played for the New England Patriots. So he's in this family that has a football culture. I said, how did, how did Ashton do? He goes, oh, so good, man. He said, the coaches were talking about how good he was doing. And 
he's going for wide receiver. And if you know anything about football, I know a little bit is wide receivers, obviously the quarterback throws the ball and the wide receiver's job is on the offense is to get open. And they run these things called uh, routes, or if you're from Canada, routes. And they, 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 they run these routes, these plays, and they try to shake their defender, get 15, 20, maybe even further down the field, yards down the field, and get open. And the coach said something, and, and Chad told me this, and when he said it on the phone, it just it caught me a certain way. He said, he told the receivers as they're lining up and, and trying to run their play, run their route, run their designed um, play to get open for the quarterback so they could catch the ball and hopefully score a touchdown, win the game, win championships. He said, it all starts with, don't miss this. He said, when you're running your route, he said, turn your head and your body will follow. He said, so many times we try to turn our body and we can't turn quick enough. And the whole thing about being a receiver in football is if you can make your move quicker than your defender, there's literally half a second. If you can turn and get that ball before you get tackled, he said, to make your turns quickly, to run your route, to make sure you're where you're supposed to be when that ball gets launched from the quarterback's hand, he said, turn your head and your body will follow. We're having this call and I just had this moment and I thought so many times in my life, I get my head out of the game before my body ever is. Some, some, of, you, some of you here, I know not, all of you, but some maybe like I am. Some Sundays, I'm here in my body, but my mind is not. You ever do that? Some of you are like, what was he saying? You know. <laughs> you ever been at a family dinner, but you're not home? You're home, but you're not home. You ever been at work, but you're not at work? You're, you're on Facebook, or you're checking your fantasy team, or you're planning, you're booking tea times. Am I the only one? Okay. But sometimes you can be in the room, but you're not in the room. I was thinking about today, Father's Day, and speaking to the fathers in the room, and really everyone in the room, I believe there's truth in this today, and I've never preached Father's Day, and I'm excited to. Just a short message today, we're going to encourage you before we pray and have some popsicles. But if we can get your head in the game, I believe your life will follow. And I want us to encourage you today. I want to just um, speak life to you today, how worth it you are, that you are the perfect father for your kids. God thought you were the one that was best designed, best situated, best uh, gifted to lead and launch your children. You may feel like you have regrets there. You Maybe you feel like you're doing well there. But today I want to encourage you to keep your head in the game. Encourage you to keep running the path, keep running the route, keep running the play that God has called you to run today. Keep your head in the game. Keep your head in the game. Today I want to talk really quickly on this topic, what three dads taught me. What three dads taught me. I want to break out from Scripture three uh, uh, fathers in the Bible that speak lessons to me today. And I believe it's going to encourage you today, dads, on this Father's Day 2022. It's weird to have Father's Day in person. The last two have been online. I am thankful I'm not eating hot wings today. I'm not going to say who, but one of our team last time made the hot wings. And they added way too much hot sauce. Um, we were vomiting doing it. It was horrible. Uh, I am thankful today to not have hot wings. Some of you enjoy our pain. Um, but today is, uh, I get to preach, and I'm excited to that. What three dads taught me. The first dad I want to talk about from Scripture today is the father of the prodigal son. The father of the prodigal son. I'm going to read a little bit of this passage, but if you don't know this story, maybe you know it well. There was this, these two sons, and his father had two sons, and, and one son came to him and said, hey, I know when you die, we're going to get your inheritance. We're going to sell the house, sell the, sell the business. We're going to do everything. We're going to divide it up. But listen, being the youngest son, I know I only get a smaller portion than my brother, but I think I can do better with it now than when you die, and I want what's mine 
now. I got desires, I got appetites, I got plans, I want my inheritance now. If you could figure out a way to liquefy the accounts, sell off some investments, do whatever you got to do, but I want mine now. I'm done with this family. I'm done waiting. I want to go live my life, and I can't wait, Dad, until you're gone. I want it now. The father doesn't say much why the father did, but the father did. He gave him an inheritance early and said, there you go. And the son took that inheritance and went, went to a far-off land and lived a life far from the calling, the culture, uh, the rules and the responsibility that he had grown up in. I won't go into it today, but he was a Jewish boy, and similar to today, that Jewish um, boys didn't eat pork. There's certain foods, and at one point, he finds himself in a pig pen with the most unclean animal that his culture taught him. He's actually living with them, eating their food, fighting pigs. Come on, I have a golden retriever. I have to, you got to fight him. If something drops on the floor, you got to fight him for snacks. Come on. If you drop a fishy cracker, it is gone. I can only imagine being in a pig pen with a, with a is it a herd of pigs? Is it, what is that, a flock of pigs? What would that be? Who's, who knows what we're talking about? A herd of pigs? <laughs> Lito's like, I don't even know. A whole bunch of pigs. And this young man is fighting for the scraps. We pick it up here uh, in Luke uh, chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 in verse, 20, in verse 11 says this. It says, Man had two sons. The younger son told the father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land where he wasted his money in wild living. You can define wild living however you want. Whatever your definition of wild, probably doesn't even touch it, but it was wild living. Wild living. About that time, his money ran out, as it does. And a uh, great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded the local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the field to feed the pigs. Again, the most unclean, opposite of the culture he grew up in. The young man became so hungry, even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, I have that underlined in my Bible. I pray that for many, that they'd come to their senses. He came to his senses. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food, food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father, and he started to prepare his speech. He said, Father, I'm going to say this. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on just as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. His son started into his speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father interrupts him, doesn't let him finish. He says this, but the father said to the servants, doesn't matter what my son's saying, quick, Bring the finest robe from the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger. Sandals on his feet. Kill the biggest calf we have that we've been fattening. we got to celebrate. We're going to barbecue tonight. Steaks all the way around tonight. We're going to feast. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. I think about what three dads taught me. And the first thing I'm thinking about this father is that there's a lot of things his father could have started that meeting with. I'm picturing this son, the money's gone, he's obviously in a bad place, he's hungry, he's lost weight, he's disheveled, he's covering dirt, he's coming towards the estate, the, the, the servants, the employees, the house see him coming, the father obviously has been waiting for this day. Please don't miss that. 
Sometimes we can get so locked in our position that we lose the priority. And it says the father, well, he was still a long way off, which means he was preparing for his son's return. It says he ran to him. And I can't help but think that there might have been some other things the father could have said in that moment. Maybe like, okay, before, like, this, is there any money left? Like, that might have been my response. Like, like I, I, I've checked your debit account. Like, nothing, you have nothing in cash. You have nothing saved. Do you have any of the money, my hard work money that I spent my lifetime building, any of that left? He may have came back and said, how much trouble are you in? Is there an arrest warrant for you? Um, is there, have you caught anything? Have you given anything? Do you, come on. There would have been a, how bad is this wild living? It might have been, hey, your mom, do you know how worried your mother is? Do you know what you've done? Do you know how upset she's been? Maybe he would have started, I, maybe I would be leaning this way and start with, told you so. <laughs> look at you, told you so. Look, look, this, like, have you looked at yourself? Where are your shoes? How do you lose your shoes? Are are those even pants? Like, what's left with them? Like, I told you this would happen. I told you to wait if you would just live by my house and my... The father didn't do that. The first thing the father does is hug him, kiss him, embrace him, restore him to community and relationship. He instantly reconnects him with family and community. And this is a lesson this dad taught me, is that connection before correction. The right thing at the wrong time is still wrong. Sometimes we're so busy being right that we're wrong. The internet has taught us that in the last two years. So many people are so busy trying their, I'm right, I've done my research, I've studied this, I have an opinion, I am right. The right thing at the wrong time is wrong. The right thing would have been said, you've sinned against heaven and your mother and I. The right thing was said, you've lost your money. You know that when I die, you're not getting anything. The, the inheritance is already divided. The right thing would have been said, you know, you need to apologize to a lot of people, your brother, the servants. You need to apologize to your mother. I want to hear what, have you learned anything from this experience? That would have been the right thing. Listen, there would have been a conversation coming later on. Before you came back into the house, there would have been rules. There would have been expectations. There would have been culture. There would have been a lot of conversations down the road. But the right thing to do was to connect before he corrected. I want to remind you, dads, that our job first is to connect before we correct. Connect before we correct. I'm thankful I had a father that believed in connection. There was many nights, and I thought about telling some of these stories, but I don't want to encourage my son with my behavior. But there was many nights I made stupid decisions. Sometimes the police were involved. Sometimes it was just a harmless prank. Sometimes I made a stupid decision trying to fix my own car. Maybe I was trying to do something and I didn't ask ahead of time and I made a mess of something. But there was many times I came home in trouble and made a mess of something. And my father, the first thing he said was, are you okay? Are you okay? I'd call him crying or I'd come in the door going, hey, it's midnight. I'd walk in the door. Are you asleep? How many know when you get that conversation at midnight, I, I just need to talk to you for a second. Dad would turn the light on and step and go, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm so thankful for connection before correction. My first instinct was always to go home when I needed help. That's because I had a father that believed in connection before correction. My first instinct, if I can just get home, if I can just get home, my dad knows people. <laughs> he can fix this. My dad has extra money. He can pay for this. My, my dad can help me here because connection is greater than correction. Jesus did this. 
You need to know this, that the kingdom of God, we're going to start talking next week, that there are rules to the kingdom of heaven. There is a culture. There is a set parameter. There is a way you live. But Jesus understood the power, not just of correction, though he came to correct, but Jesus came to connect. It says in Scripture, while we were still, a lo- uh, still, still sinners, while we were still a long way off, Christ died for us. Why? Because heaven knew I need to connect before I correct. Jesus spent his ministry connecting with people that were needed correction. The woman at the well, the woman that was caught in adultery, men that were stealing and thieving and all these problems. He said, I need to connect with you. I need to come to your house and eat. I need to let you know I know your name. I need you to see that you're valuable and I love you. And then we're going to have a conversation. But the right thing at the wrong time is wrong. So I need to connect before I correct. Fathers, and I'm still learning at this. I'm reminded from this dad of scripture all that we would be easy to connect with, not just to correct. But their first instinct was, if I can just see my dad, he can help me. Connection over correction. Help us fathers seek that today. Second thing, second father from scripture that speaks to me today, as I want to keep your head in the game, fathers, is called Simon the Serene. It's found in Mark chapter 15. In Mark chapter 15, We pick it up here in verse 21. Jesus is being led to the cross. He's getting ready to do the ultimate connection to us where he is bridging us and heaven with the cross. He's going to pay the price for our sin. He'll be the bridge that, 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 that joins us from being separated from God, the ultimate connection. Literally, the cross was his hands reaching across eternity and, and, the, and the gap that sin built and joining the Father with his kids, us, Jesus is on his way to the cross. We pick it up here that as he's carrying his cross to the hill Golgotha to where he was going to be uh, crucified, it says as he's walking down this road carrying his cross and getting tired and stumbling, it says in verse 21, a passerby named Simon who was from Serene was coming in from the countryside just then and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus's cross. Then it says this, Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. What's interesting about that is in itself, you think this man's coming in from the countryside, he's either traveling or he's a farmer, all of a sudden the soldier's like, hey, you, yeah, you, get in here. We're not killing you today, but you're carrying this man's cross. We're going to butcher him on this cross. He can't do it anymore. We're on a time schedule. Get in here and carry this cross. This man named Simon. We don't hear about him in scripture again. He doesn't become an apostle, a disciple that we know of. He doesn't write a book of the Bible. But if you pick it up in Romans chapter 16, verse 3, Paul now is building the church, one of the greatest books of the Bible, Romans, of truth and the exploits of Paul and the church is growing and, and, and Paul is teaching and he says this in verse 13. He says, greet Rufus, who the Lord picked out to be his very own. I don't know if you can catch that right there. Simon was doing his own thing. He wasn't following Jesus. He was in the, in the right place at the right time. And all of a sudden, he gets picked to carry a cross. He's carrying this cross. And then decades later, Paul talks about, hey, 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 Rufus, the son of Simon. Scripture says it's Simon's son. Rufus. Please say hi to Rufus. He's been very integral in building the church. He's a huge part of the kingdom of God. He's a huge part of what God's doing in this city, in this area, with the kingdom. Please make sure you give a special greeting to Rufus. 
I think it's fascinating. It says that it's likely that Rufus, the son, learned the gospel from the eyewitness's account of Simon, his father, who experienced the events of Jesus' death and stuck around for his resurrection, impacted by his father's testimony and his father's experience, Rufus became an integral part of the future church. Never underestimate how your daily decisions will change the years of your kids. Fathers, listen to me. It's going so quick. Some of you have young kids. Some of your kids are growing up. It goes so quickly, but never underestimate. Here's the thought I want to leave with you today with this dad, Simon. You'll reap in your kids what you sow in your years. You'll reap in your kids what you sow with your days. One day in a man's life so drastically changed his son's future. One day, in one day, he made a decision. He was there. He stuck around. Some say he would have followed Jesus because he saw the man. He saw the death. He saw the resurrection. But one day of his choices changed the lifetime and the years of his son. Fathers, I want to keep your head in the game today and remind you that you're reaping your kids. What you sow with your days, every word, every action, every joke, every dollar is sowing something that we will reap in our kids. Make no mistake, I'm not a farmer, but I believe strongly in sowing and reaping in every part of life. Financially, physically, spiritually, I believe relationally, every part of life. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. Whatever you plant, you'll harvest. I play for a a, a crop failure sometimes in my life with the stupid things I've done and said, saying, God, please kill that crop. And I'm saying, God, help me plant some better seed, some better words, some better choices, some better actions, some better things. But Lord, I want, I know because I will reap for my actions. I want to remind you today that every action has a repercussion. I've seen my father, seen my father that understands this principle. I've seen my father forgive people who didn't deserve it over and over again. Nancy says, you are the most forgiving person I've ever met in my life. I'm like, no, my father is. I've seen my father forgive people that don't deserve it. There was this one man my dad was in business with, and long story short, he cheated my father. He cheated a lot of people and robbed my father of many, many, many dollars, so much money. Just stole it, stole it. Shortly after this whole thing came to uh, light, my father was diagnosed with a form of cancer. I remember this time in my father's life, he's going in for treatments. He has fear over his life. He's lost almost everything financially he had in this business. This man has gone to jail. They said, there's no chance you're getting your money back. There's so many other people he's stolen from. You'll never get your money back. And my father facing bankruptcy and brokenness and his own body betraying him and giving up, he wrestles through forgiving this man. I remember driving him one day Uh, in town to an appointment and tears in his face, this broken man. I remember thinking, if there's ever a time to get angry, this is it. Years later, this man came out of prison. God had worked on his heart and he knocked on my father's door to ask for forgiveness and my father invited him in. What the man didn't know is my father already forgave him before he ever asked. I wanted to hurt that man myself. I'm not fully saved yet, just so you know, if you're worried about your pastor. I don't know, but I thought of things I'm going to say. I'm going to go to his house. I thought, what can I, what can I steal from his property to get this money back? How can I go up and say, I'm going to be the repo man. I'm going to take, the, I'm, I'm not, what am I, that's my inheritance he stole. That's my father he affected. I got angry. 
I, I, somehow I thought I'd feel better if I laid on hands on that man. Maybe some feet too. I just thought I'd lay hands. But my father in his brokenness worked through it and he forgave. And I never forget that what he did, what, that he's reaping in his kids what he sowed in his days. My father is a forgiving man. And there's been so many times in the last five years where I thought, yeah, but I would like to give him a piece of my mind. And, I like, and, and I'm just reminded, I can't. It's not in me. Why? Because I'm reaping what my father sowed. Fathers, I want to remind you that you're reaping your kids what you sow in your days. Moments like this greatly affect our children. You're going to reap. You're going to reap. We are being watched. Have you know that yet? We are being watched. And we'll reap in our kids what we sow with our days. The last father I want to talk about today is in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 is the father of a dying girl. The Bible doesn't tell us much about this young girl except that she was 12. In Luke chapter 8, verse 40, says this. It says, on the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years of age, was dying. His only daughter, which speaks to legacy, it speaks to future. His only daughter was dying, and he says he ran to Jesus. Then we pick it up in verse 53. Jesus heals another woman before he goes to Jairus' house. And in verse 53, we pick it up. Jesus walks in, and there's all these professional mourners that are grieving, and they're crying. And Jesus came in and said, she's not dead, she's just asleep. And it says here in verse 53, but the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned, and she immediately stood up. And Jesus told them, give her something to eat. Jarius has taught me something. Let me ask you, dads, where do you run to when life's most important moments happen? Where do you run to when life's most important moments happen? Where are you found? I say it this way is, where is your Google place? I don't know if your phone does this. Our phones are listening, by the way. Have you know that? You ever have an ad show up after you've been talking about something? Am I the only one? You know, where's your Google place? I get in my car all the time. I plug my phone into my car. It comes up on the screen. And Google assumes it knows where I'm going. Has this happened to you? It's like 23 minutes to the office. I'm like, how do you know? Because at that time, on that day, that's where I go. And it tracks me. And it tells me, do you want me to put into the nav system 23 minutes to the office? Because I assume that's where you're going. Never forget this one time. Me and Josh were going to soccer out in East Hants about... 40 minutes from here. And Google came up so many minutes to the airport because I was traveling full time at that time and I was on flights all the time. And all of a sudden, not paying attention, I just followed Google and I pulled up to the departure gate at the airport and Josh is in his cleats and his socks and he just looks at me and I look at him and I look up and I'm like, why am I at the airport? We're supposed to be going to soccer. I got back on the highway and kept going to soccer. Why? Because it was what I was used to doing. It's where I was usually found at that time of day, on that time of week. Let me ask you this question. Where are you running to on your important days? Here's a thought I learned from Jarius, the father of the 12-year-old. This is a thought I want to leave you with. Make sure that whatever you run to can raise them. 
Make sure whatever you run to can raise them. There's a lot of things we can run to. We may make sure we run to the place that can raise our kids on their worst days and their best days that we know that what we run to, when life gets hard, when life's difficult, we run to somebody, to some place that can raise our kids, not just mourn. I had this friend growing up, I grew up with. My, my dad was, wasn't around all the time. He worked three jobs. My dad was always home for supper. He was always home for the big events. He was home every night. My dad worked really hard. But I remember he would come to our house for supper. Or he'd be there playing and hang out. And my dad would be home, come home with newspapers. Newspapers were these things we used to read uh, all the time. And he'd, remember the newspaper? Just the sound of a newspaper. Just the folding of a newspaper. It's a brilliant sound. And I remember this friend of mine, whenever we did an event, whenever he had a birthday party, whenever he had a special day, whenever I dropped by his house on a weekend, his father was never there. His father was a good man, but his father was a businessman. had a lot of businesses, a lot of businesses. And what's interesting is my friend always had the nicest clothes. He always had the newest bike, the newest skateboard. He always had the latest fashion. He always had the latest gizmo. He had the latest Walkman. Come on, walk, Walkmans were these things we used to have with the CDs in them. He had everything a kid ever wanted. I remember thinking, how'd you get that bike, man? I really, that's a great skateboard. Man, that, that just came out. I remember thinking, man, he's got all the nice stuff. But I realized I never saw his father. Remember, I never saw him around. And that friend now, it's interesting, I, I ran into that father a few weeks ago at a gas pump, and the father said to me, hey, 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 Mike, have, have you seen my boy recently? I'm like, no, I haven't. He said, yeah, like, we, I, I, I saw him a little while ago, but we don't talk that much. I'm like, yeah? He said, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just wondering maybe if he was hanging out with you. I'm like, no, we're not hanging out. And that friend of mine now, because he was raised by money and raised by that priority, that's where his father ran to, that's what his focus is now, and it actually guides most of his decisions, that friend of mine. When you talk to him, any decision he makes, whatever he's trying to raise his children, whenever he's making future decisions, it's always got a financial angle to it. And I realize that what his father ran to is what raised him. In Luke 8, the father ran to who he knew could raise his daughter. It's interesting, he didn't run to the office. He didn't run to the rink. He didn't run to a hobby. He didn't run to a financial advisor. He ran to Jesus. I just want to keep your head in the game today. I'm most thankful for me is that my parents introduced me to Jesus because who they ran to is who raised me. Because when I'm having my moments, when I'm having my panic attacks, when I'm having my stress, it's, I'm so thankful that who they ran to is that who raises me now. Fathers, I want to encourage you, run to Jesus. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for your parenting. He's got a plan for your weaknesses and your joys and your struggles. Would you run to Jesus? Because where you run to today is who will raise them tomorrow. And you better make sure you run to someone who has the power to raise this generation. Because this generation needs every bit of help we can give them. And who we run to will raise them. I'll never forget that, driving away from the gas pump, that father's like, hey, yeah, if you see my boy, if you see my boy, I thought, he's being raised by who you ran to. I'm so thankful today that my parents ran to Jesus. Fathers, I want to encourage you today. Church, I want to encourage you. Run to Jesus. I didn't say church. I said Jesus. Now, if you love Jesus, you're in church. There's a lot of people in church that don't love Jesus. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus at home. Run to Jesus at work. Run to Jesus at the rink. 
Run to Jesus on the golf course. Listen, listen, run to Jesus when you need help because who you run to will raise them. Today, I want to pray for the fathers in the room. Now, we wrestled with this, didn't we, Nancy? I wrestled, I thought, why is it, there's such a, there's such a stigma, there's such a, it's a hard thing around Father's Day. And I said this earlier, that sometimes the fathers not in the room have a greater presence than the fathers in the room. But I believe what we celebrate, we replicate. And today, I want to pray for the fathers in the room. Your kids might be grown up. Your kids might be young. Maybe you're in the middle of it with teenagers. Today, I want to bless you, fathers. Because I believe there's a calling on your life. And God wants you to keep your head in the game. If you keep your head in the game, he can encourage you today. And I believe if you're, as your head goes, the body goes. As your body goes, your life goes. As your life goes, we will reap in our kids what we sow in our days. I want to bless you today. If you're a father in this place, will you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you as we close today. Fathers, I wouldn't embarrass you for anything. It's not an easy role. It's not an easy role. I think fathering is one of the hardest things I've ever done. I think it's the most worth it thing I've ever done. I'd like to bless you today. You may feel more regret than joy. Maybe you have so many, so much joy. Today, I believe God wants to rush in and meet you where you are today and strengthen you. Let me pray for you today. Father, I thank you for these amazing men. I thank you for these men. Those watching online and those in person today, Father, we bless them. Father, I pray that they'd have an ability to connect, first of all, with you, Lord. Father, I know that there's correction and there's things that need to be said and you need to put your finger on areas of our lives. But today, I pray they would feel your connection today. I pray they'd feel your peace, your love. I pray they'd feel yet how proud you are of them. I pray they'd feel your love. I pray today they would feel your presence, feel their lives with hope and joy. God, I pray they leave here more connected to you than when they walked in. God, I pray for an ability to connect with your children, whether they're grown or young. I pray an ability to connect. God, I bless them with that. I bless them, Lord, they would sow the right seeds. I pray they'd sow the right seeds. Every, every thought, every action, every decision, every moment of time, Father, help them sow today because they're going to reap it tomorrow. Father, help their sowing today. Father, make them aware of their power of their lives, the power of their humor, the power of their spending, the power of their calendar, the power of their words, the power of their values. Father, I pray that you would help them sow the right seeds in the right places at the right time. And Father, I pray that they would run to you today. God, we need you to raise our kids. We need you to fill them with your presence. We need you to help their relationships. We need you to help their mental health, their physical health. We need you to help them in a culture that is very trying and very challenging. There's so much pressure on this generation. We need help raising our kids. Father, I pray these men would run to you. Father, I bless them with a, a quickness to run to you. Would you be there in their difficult season? Would you be there in their great season? Would you be their go-to to celebrate and their go-to when it's difficult, would you bless them today? Father, I pray these men would be found running to you. Whatever influence they have on fields and offices at home, Father, I pray even in this church that they would run to you so that you can raise them. Father, I bless them with your goodness and I bless them with your presence. In the name of Jesus Christ, and everybody said, come on, can we all stand to our feet today? We're going to dismiss today. Popsicles are being handed out. Coffee is flowing. We love you so much. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Church, we love you so much. We're going to see you back here next Sunday morning. God bless. Have an amazing week. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind?
my tune till I make. 